I was reading it as I was meditating on this passage this week. One of the main themes that kept coming back up to me and that kept being reiterated was this theme of unbelief. This theme of unbelief. And we're going to spend some time, like Ryan said this morning, talking about our goals, talking about some vision for what we're going to focus on, what we're going to be about next year, what we're going to pray for as a church family. And it strikes me as that, is that often as we think about what God may do or what God is doing or what we're asking Him to do, we enter into a lot of unbelief. Often our hearts are still full of unbelief as we're asking God to do the things that He could do. And as I was thinking about that this week, the, I just decided to Google unbelief, and it's kind of amazing what, um, what the synonyms that popped up with that on totally secular sites, things like skepticism, agnostics, atheism, things that, that really unbelief really equates to the lack of existence of God. I think when we think about unbelief, that really raises the bar. That raises the bar when we think about unbelief. Unbelief is not just something that's some minor detail. It's a major, huge statement, a big statement about who God is and what He can do. And I know in my own heart, even as I think and dream about what um, I may ask God to do, I'm often skeptical about what may happen with that. As I look around, I'm skeptical about that. And I think it's easy for me to pass off my skepticism as saying it's actually just being realistic. I'm being realistic about that situation. But the reality is I'm often actually living in unbelief of who God is and what He can actually accomplish. And so as we think about faith, faith is really just believing and living in the truth of who God is. That's what it is. And so as we think about unbelief, what are ways you think unbelief actually affects our everyday lives? If you're new with us, when I ask a question, you can answer. And so, so you think, well, what are ways that, that unbelief affects our everyday lives? A lot of anxiety. Anxiety. Okay, good. What else? More anxiety. More anxiety. <laughs> and does anyone want to third that? Anxiety. All right. Anything else? It's a way of self-protection. Like, you, like you're saying, you have unbelief so that you won't be disappointed when what you're asking for doesn't happen. Yeah, self-protection so we won't be disappointed when it doesn't happen. Good. Yeah, what else? Lack of prayer. Like, why pray if you don't think it's going to... Like, what's Yeah, lack of prayer or lack of focus in those things. Yeah, good. Good. Yeah. Just trusting God that He has His best for us in His timing. Hmm, just trusting He has our, has our best interest in mind and His timing and all those things. Yeah, good. Yeah. Trying harder. Yeah, just trying to work real hard to accomplish it. We're yeah. Or not trying at all. Yeah, one of the other extremes of that. Yeah, good, good. Ignore, we don't believe God's guidance, so we follow our own guidance. Okay, yeah, we, we, we follow our own things rather than we believe in ourselves, really. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah. And I just think about all these answers and just think like bondage, not freedom. Mm, yeah, really living in bondage rather than freedom. Yeah, Shame. good. Shame. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Why, why do you think it is that we and others live in unbelief of God? Why do you think we live that way? Because it's hard to live by faith. Okay, it's harder to live by faith than, than live in belief? Our perception of unanswered prayer. What's that? We perceive that our prayers aren't being answered and that God's not Okay, the perception of the things that we, how we see what have happened around us and the things we've asked for. Okay, good. 
We're forgetful people. Yeah, good. Yeah, we, we, we really want to be in control. We think we can maintain it. Yeah, good. Okay, as we look at the things that are broken around us, we, we, um, we, we live in unbelief because of that. Okay, good, yeah. We live in a naturalistic culture. A naturalistic culture, okay, yeah. We're afraid of what you might say, or might ask or tell us. Yeah, we're afraid of what belief might look like in our life. Yeah, what he may ask us to do and what, how that's going to play out. Yeah, good, good, yeah. Any other ways that, or reasons why you think we live in unbelief of God? I think these are all really good things, and I, I want to talk about this today because what we believe really does matter. What we believe really does matter. In John 20, 31, John tells us why he wrote this book and why, for example, he's making a big deal of unbelief here in chapter 7, and which is our text for today. And he says this in, in 20, verse 31. He says, These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It really matters what we believe because it's how you get life. It's how you get life. This life John is talking about is both eternal life and also a life in the present. Now, how do we know that? How do we know that it's both? Well, if you go to John 3, John 3, this is a verse you probably have heard before. Maybe you saw it somewhere on a football stadium. Um, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we know that this eternal life means that believing in Jesus, we escape from the wrath of God. That we're, we're under wrath until we believe. In John 3, it goes on in verse 36 and says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Who does not obey, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains in him. So really this idea is, apart from the belief in Jesus, we are all under God's wrath. Really, because we've treated God with contempt, we treated Him with skepticism, we've treated Him with, with unbelief, basically lying about who He is and the power that He wields, and what He's been doing for since eternity past and what He's doing right now. Our unbelief is really evident by us really giving very little attention to our affections and our obedience to Him. And so our belief then when we believe, it moves us into proper, into right relationship, into proper position of authority in our lives. But belief doesn't just grant us some future reality, doesn't just grant us eternal life, it also gives us life in the present. Later on in John 10.10, he'll say, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. If you look at the whole of Scripture, it's obvious that living in faith and belief in God really leads to abundant living. It leads to peace. It leads to joy. It leads to freedom in the present. I think somebody said bondage along the way. Living in belief leads to freedom. In Romans 8, it, uh, God clearly lays this out for us. And I want to look at that. We don't have time to read the whole chapter today, but I want to look at a couple verses. Um, if you have Romans 8, verse 5, says this. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the things of flesh is dead. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. To believe is life and peace. He goes on in verse 7 and says this, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile towards God. For it does not submit to God's law. 
Indeed, it cannot. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although your body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead from the Spirit will also give you life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And so Paul spends a lot of time here talking about the living in the present, having abundant life in the midst of the brokenness in the power of the Spirit. And so he says, your belief leads to life in the future, but it also leads to life in the power of the Spirit in the every day. And so it's vitally important that we understand this, that we really understand what belief is, because maturity then is growing in faith or growing in our belief in God rather than walking in unbelief or walking in skepticism or, or disobedience. And so if we go back to John chapter 7, the passage we're looking at today, we'll see there's a, there's a couple different types of groups that are living in unbelief. And one of the groups we see are, are Jesus' biological brothers. Yes, it's true. After Jesus had, was born, the Virgin Mary, she doesn't stay a virgin, uh, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, I guess. Um, I don't know why I should just probably shut my mouth now. Um, but, but we know that, that she has some children. And if we look through Scripture, there's at least four brothers that are mentioned, and we see, um, we see some sisters that are, that are referred to. And, and either way, Jesus has, has multiple siblings, and we see in verse 5, they don't believe in Him. Jesus' brothers, His family, don't believe in Him. Which is shocking on one hand. How could they live their entire life with someone who, um, who lived perfectly before them, always responded perfectly towards them, always obeyed the authority that was over him, always pointed people to God, and yet they live in unbelief of him. And it's, it's shocking in, in one sense. On the other side, growing up in a family with five sisters and one brother, growing up in a big family and, and having four, now, four girls now, I know how rivalries work and, and how, how the lack of faith in each other really plays out in the everyday. My, 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 my daughters often don't believe each other when they, they talk to each other. They're like, I can do that. No, you can't. Well, I just did it. No, you can't do that. Even my, my daughters and my wife don't believe in me what I can do often. <laughs> it's true. You're like, are you sure you know how to fix that, Dad? Maybe you should call Tommy. He'll know how to do it. I'm like, I've fixed this for a living before. People have paid me to do this. Are you sure, Dad? You sure you know what you're doing? Like people, so, so it's not shocking in that sense, right, that, that Jesus' brothers don't believe him. As I was thinking about this, I think it's also encouraging that they don't believe him. Now, why do I say that? I think because it, it really reveals Jesus' understandings of the ins and outs of living with loved ones who don't believe in God. He understands the pain and the existence of that life. If you have loved ones, mother, father, brother, sisters, spouses, kids who don't believe in Jesus, you're not alone in your struggle. Jesus understands that reality. And He deeply knows what it looks like and the pain of loving family members who reject God and reject Him later on. 
Later on, the good news is that we'll see throughout the story that, that, that even we'll see, I don't know if this is good news or not, but we'll actually see his, his, his family and his mother come to Jesus and, and try to have an intervention in some way and try to drag him out and say, Jesus, you're, you're crazy. You need to come home. You need to come home. You need to come back to reality. They, 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 they pursue him that way. Jesus knows the pain of rejection of close family members. He'd been living with these siblings for over 30 years now. And they don't believe. Which I think is a good reminder for us to take heart that someone else's belief is not dependent on you. Not dependent on how well you live out and how well you image God in front of them. The good news is if we fast forward even more in the stories, eventually Jesus' brothers do believe in Him. And they become leaders in the first church we see. His brother James writes the book of James that we have in our, in our Bible that we read. So, so being faithful, knowing that God is still at work in your life. God is still at work in those that you love within your family. And so be patient and be faithful to continue to live out the life of Jesus before them. So we see Jesus' brothers don't believe Him. Also in chapter 7, we also have crowds of people or leaders of the Jewish nation. Um, really, Jesus' other family. If you want to say it that way, His biological family and then his natural, his, his natural family. They don't believe Him either. Now if we look at their stories here, they, their belief looks different on the outside. But I want to say that the same root is on the inside. The same root of unbelief. In verse 1, we see the leaders, uh, they want to kill him. In verse 3 and 4, his brothers want him to do more miracles. So they look different. One wants him to perform, to become a public figure. Jesus' brothers are are very excited about his miracles, and and they've seen some of them, and they they want other people to see them. And and they they say to him this in in verse 3 to 5, they say this, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples may also see the works you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be openly known. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. And then it's followed by this statement in verse 5. For not even his brothers believed in him. Notice it doesn't say, we don't think you can do miracles. We don't think you can actually do those things. We think it's all smoke and mirrors. You're just kind of like doing some Vegas act up there. We don't want to be associated with you. We're embarrassed by you. They, they like what he's doing. They like what he's doing. They want to see him do it more. And then verse 5 says, because of that statement, they don't believe in him. They don't believe in him. They believe in his miracles. They believe in these things. They're amazed by it. They love him. They love those things. They want him to take his show on the road, really. They want him to take his show on the road to Jerusalem to win more fame, to win more, more followers, to amaze more people. And Jesus says that comes from unbelief. Now, the other kind of unbelief we see in the story is really opposite of that. Many of the Jewish people in, in, in Jerusalem and the leaders were not excited by Jesus' miracles. They were not excited by the things that he was doing. They were threatened by them. They wanted to see him dead. We notice, we see this not only in verse 1, but in verse 19, Jesus is speaking to them and he, he calls them out and he asks them why they want to kill him. Why, why do they want to kill him? And they respond this in verse 20. It says, you have a demon. You're demon-possessed. Basically, you're possessed. We don't believe your miracles actually come from your power. It's something else or someone else that's performing them. And by verse 30, this conversation has turned to the worst, and, and we see that they're seeking to arrest him. 
Not merely because he, he failed to look like the Messiah that they wanted, but because of what he was saying. Because of what he was saying. Take a look at this in verse 28 and 29. Jesus says this. He says, You know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come from my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. Don't miss these words that him, he says, him you do not know. Basically, he's saying, you don't believe in God. You, the most religious, the most privileged, the most well-taught people in the world, with the very oracles of God in your hands, the Jewish scriptures, you don't know God. You don't believe in Him, and that's why you want to kill me. And on the other side, ironically, on the flip side, Jesus is saying, you don't believe, I actually do believe in God. I believe in God. I know Him. I'm from Him. God sent me. I believe in Him. And you don't. And you don't believe in Him because you can't recognize me. And over and over and over again, in this Gospel of of John, Jesus makes it plain that if you reject Him, you reject God. Because He's God's Son, the Messiah. And if you don't love God, you don't love and honor Jesus. You don't honor and love the Father if you don't believe in Jesus. So one group on one side is excited about his miracles and wants him to be more public. And the other side is really threatened by his miracles and want him stopped and even want him killed. Um, and I think it's easy to pick out the second as, as unbelief, right? It's pretty easy to say, well, yeah, that's unbelief. They don't really, they don't really believe who he is. But on the other side, I think it's, 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 it's hard for us to pick out that that's unbelief. But I think it's critical that we see both of these as unbelief. Because my guess is, if you're anything like me, you often dwell in one of these categories in your life. You often dwell in unbelief more than you actually think or want to believe that you do. And if you read through the story, Jesus doesn't want to go to Jerusalem uh, at his brother's request to do more miracles to the world, but then he does go. He goes and he, and he leaves privately, really opposite of what his brothers asked him to do or wanted him to do. And so Jesus basically says, I'm going to go the way you, you, I'm not going to go the way you want me to go. I'm not going to seek human approval or, um, or human praise. That is not what I'm after. You see, unbelief at its core really seeks to bring praise to men. Unbelief seeks to bring praise to men. Unbelief is pride in human accomplishment. That's what unbelief is. Belief on the other side seeks to bring glory and praise to God. Belief is not driven by by human praise, but rather by humble, joyful service of the King. So you can't believe in Jesus if your root desire is to be praised by other people. Pride at its core is craving for human approval. Pride ultimately is believing in self. It's saying, I want to be God. Someone over here said that earlier today. He said, Jesus is really telling us that at the root of pride is unbelief. Unbelief is at the root. And so this is what, what his brothers, what his brothers didn't, didn't have or didn't see. Their root, their joy was in, was in the praise of men, that he would collect more people, that they would and maybe in some way become a, a famous family and, and get, get certain things with that. It was in the praise of men, not 
in the grace of God. And so that's what John means in verse 5 when he says, Jesus' brothers don't believe in him. That the root of pride and self uh, act, what's the word? Um, self-exaltation is the same for the, as the crowd. The brothers pursued it through exalting Jesus' acts rather than him, and the Jewish crowd pursued it through law-keeping and through legalism rather than God. And as you look at this interaction that Jesus has with them in 16 through 24, Jesus calls out their law-keeping, calls out their legalism. In 19, he says this, Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keep the law. And then in verse 24, he tells them, Don't judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. The context of the story, Jesus had been accused of a lawbreaker because he was healing someone on the Sabbath. But Jesus says, Jesus says none of you keep the laws. And Jesus says, life and words are, really, his wife and words are really calling their whole understanding of law keeping into question. Their whole meaning of life is now being called into question. Their way of finding acceptance, their way of finding affirmation, their way of finding approval, their way of finding a praise, their way of, was really following the rules that they set out and the way that they interpreted the rules of God. And that was crumbling in their eyes and crumbling under really the weight of grace that Jesus is talking about. And they want to kill him for it. The root of unbelief is the same as the brothers. The brothers, the miracles, they want to get miracles from Jesus from human praise. And the crowds, the the miracles actually threatened their human praise. It's still about human praise. One is one's loving the results of God more than God Himself. And the other is loving God's laws more than God himself. And both are rooted in unbelief and rooted in in propping oneself up. Now they may look good on the outside. They may even seemingly produce fruit in some ways. But both are rotten to the core. Both are the root of unbelief. So we need to really be continually asking this question in our lives. Where in my life is, is my life revealing that I'm living in unbelief? That I'm actually after the praise of men or the praise of myself rather than the praise of God? Do I desire the results of God and the things that He can do for me more than I desire Him? Am I doing the things of God to earn favor? To look good before Him or before others? Am I doing them just because I'm supposed to? Am I after His glory or after my glory? This is really the heart of really, am I believing or am I living in unbelief? Really, belief is life. It's giving, it's life-giving, it's life-abundant. And unbelief, I would say, is life-sucking. It's, it's, life, it's life-draining. If you find yourself living in a drain or in, 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 in the things of God sucking life out of you, you're probably not living in belief. And I really want us to understand this and really want us to, to think about this and grow in our belief this year because that's really at the heart of growing as a disciple of Jesus. And I, wanna, I want us to understand this because as we think about what God is calling us to in this next year as a church family, I want us to live in unbelief. I mean, to live in belief. <laughs> That's what I meant. It's a good thing my wife was sitting there because she gave me one of those. 
she often gives me that, but I just kind of cruise over it. But that one I, I caught. Yes. Let me say that again. I want us to understand this because what God is calling us into in this next year as a church family, I want us to live in belief in Him and who He is and what He can accomplish. Because the end goal of these things, the end goal of these things that, that we as elders think about and pray about and, and, and are going to try to lead you into and that I'm going to share about is not about growing us as a church. It's not about even growing you personally, per se. It's about Jesus getting bigger. It's about Jesus being bigger in your hearts and in the hearts of those around us. It's about the belief of God as, as our good Father sinking deep into our souls and affecting everything that we do and that we say and that we're about. It's about living in obedience in the everyday. It's about the reality of God who has the power to do the impossible. To do the things that we're skeptical that He can actually do. To save the people that we're skeptical that they would ever believe in who He is. To change these things in my life. To grow us in these areas that I'm skeptical He could actually do. It's about life abundant in the present, signifying an eternal life that we have already guaranteed for us in the future. Something that we've already received because the Spirit lives inside of us. And so please know that that is the heart, that is what is behind what we as elders feel like we're called to lead you into this year. That we're going to call you to pray for and to, and to believe and to, and to work towards these things in belief about who God is, not about the things that we think He's about. So I want to share with you quickly just with three Ps. We're going to go three Ps this year. We've never done that before. We're going to be all alliterated. It's all cool. Yeah, I knew you were going to like this. Yeah, we're going to go old school Baptist. We're going to get out three Ps, and there's going to be four Ps under each one. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, but these are the things that we're going to be about as a church and believe that, that, that God would grow us in. So the first one is this. Prioritize the discipleship and development of leaders. Prioritize the discipleship and development of leaders. As we think about this, our desire this year is to see new elders raised up. To see new elders installed this year. Our desire is, is to identify and train and install and empower deacons and deaconesses this year. Our, our desire is to see new missional community leaders take on new areas of the gospel work in our city and, and, and live and empower others to follow them and to, to lead others in that. Our, our desire is to see existing missional community leaders refreshed and equipped and to continue on in the race with endurance that God has called them to. Our desire is to see, to see new and existing DNA leaders trained in, in gospel fluency and, and proficiency in helping others get to the root of unbelief in their lives. Our desire is, is, is to train and equip our Soma Sending residents to be prepared to plant a new church here in Los Angeles and to raise up, raise up new residents within our body that would go out and plant other churches in the future. That's our desire. And as, as I say this, as I say development of leaders, please don't hear just proficiency or just skill. 
We do desire to grow in that area, but I've, but I've seen way too many times in many, many churches across our country, and I've dealt with it even this year, people who have great skill and people who have great proficiency and do many good things, but live in pride, which is really unbelief. And I wonder how much of that good work will be actually considered as hay and stubble in the future when Jesus returns. And so when I say prioritize the development of leader and the discipleship of leaders, what we're looking to do is develop humble leaders. Leaders who desire to bring praise to Jesus, not the self. Leaders who see and declare and reveal their need of Jesus often. Leaders who say time and time again and after and after, we need more of Jesus. We're broken, we need more of Jesus, and we're, we're desiring to grow people in that skill. To grow people in their seeing of their need of Jesus, their declaring of their need of Jesus, and calling other people to their need of Jesus. That's what we mean when we say we're prioritizing the discipleship and development of leaders, not just proficiency and skill. We do want to grow in that, but also in that vein. As we think about this, our desire this year, and Brian kind of gave a little bit of a spoiler alert, but, but our, we, we, we hope to add to our pastoral staff this year as, as a greater means of care for this family and the advancement of the gospel broader in the city. One of the things that, that we've been doing as elders this past year has been, has been praying with and developing relationships with Brad and Marilla Watson. If those of you, some of you have met them earlier this year. They're at one of our sister churches in Portland. Um, to really to see if God was putting us, to, putting us together. To see if he was, he was moving them towards uh, this kingdom work in this city. And we're excited to let you know that, that we really sense God's call to add them to our church family. We feel like they have many gifts and strengths that really um, would help us move forward in the stage of life that we are as a church family, but also be real assets for the kingdom work both in this city and abroad that we're, that we're involved in. And after some discussion and, and much prayer with, with the, the team, the elder team in Portland, they also feel that way. They feel that way, and they are willingly going to release them to come and join us. That's a real partnership in what it looks like to be family with one another as a, as a broader church. It's not that they want to lose him and that he's not doing great things there, but they feel God's call for him to move here as well. Now, as we think and we ask and pray for that, I can tell you we don't have the full capacity to take on their salary. We don't. But if God leads you to grow in generosity, we want to encourage you to do that. But we believe that God is a great provider and God is already starting to provide ways for Brad and his family to move here. God's provided a part-time job for him through Saturate, which is Soma's resource and coaching arm um, that he can do from here, which is really like some content development, which is really one of the areas that we hope that he would help us in, in growing as well. And, and people have already started to come to him, and him and other churches have already come to individuals and said, we believe in this, and we're going to join in and help support you. And so we hope that they'll join us by the middle of this year. And that they'll be looking to raise some money alongside of, of what, we can, what we can help them with and what he'll be getting from this part-time job. So, so pray for these things and be excited about what God is going to do in the future of that in, in growing us as a family. 
We really sense that that's going to be a great gift to our church family, but also to the city. So that's what we're going to be about this year. We're going to be prioritizing the discipleship and development of leaders. The second thing is this that we're going to be about as church so that our belief would grow is pursue, serve, and disciple the marginalized. Pursue, serve, and disciple the marginalized. One of the things that we see all throughout Scripture is that God's people, the way that they would always be a reflection and a belief of Him was that they would be actively caring for the marginalized. God speaks against not caring for them. He speaks against oppressing, mocking, gloating, shutting our ears to the marginalized, exploiting them, crushing them in court, closing our eyes to them, not being concerned about justice for the marginalized. God speaks against that. And I want to say our city is full of marginalized people. The poor, the disabled, the elderly, children born and unborn, those with the lack of education, single moms, single family homes, foreigners, the gay community. The list is long and it goes on and on in God. And God tells us that just ignoring them or not doing anything about it is the same as actively oppressing them. We're not going to be about that. This is a really big task. It's not something that's easy. It's not something that's neat and clean. It's messy work that God is calling His people, His family, us into. And not to just make them some new project that we're going to serve, but to actively hear their stories and to learn their lives and who they are and then share God's story with them. And I know that, that some of this is already happening and, my, and much care of this is already happening. And many of you are active, already actively pursuing and, and serving and discipling marginalized in our city. And we hope that we would continue to grow in that even more in this area. That, that each of our missional communities would really pray towards and disciple a marginalized group of people in Los Angeles this year. I want to say we, we have a great opportunity to be the church in this city by how we care for the least of these. And so one of the things that we're, we're going to be leaning into and that we're going to be continuing to bring before you is to care for the marginalized. One of the, one of the simple ways we're going to be doing that this year is, is we're going to be helping to build a home for Habitat for Humanity right here in Culver City. There's ten homes that are going to be built and we're part of a group of, of nine other churches that are helping to support and build one of those homes. That's why we took an offering for that in December, and if you want to continue to give towards that, we'll pass that along. We want to, we want to help promote that. I know we still need to raise about 20 more grand in order for that house to be built. And Derek, where's Derek at? He's over there. No, there he is. That Derek, not this Derek. Um, is going to help spearhead that effort for us. And so, so, so he's going to be up in front of you and he's going to be helping us get excited and he's going to be helping organize us in, in, into helping in that, in that specific project. But there's going to be many other things that God calls us into this year. But that's just one area, one opportunity that we're going to have to care for marginalized in our city. So we're going to pursue and serve and disciple the marginalized. And the final thing that we're going to be about the, is this purposeful discipleship of and prayer for not yet believers. Purpose, purposeful discipleship of and prayer for not yet believers. In John chapter 7 and verse 31, Jesus uh, stands up in the middle of the crowd, really a crowd of unbelievers at the Feast of Tabernacles, and he says this, If anyone thirsts, 
let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living waters. This is really significant because at the Feast of the Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, if you want to say it that way, was a time when the Jewish people um, were reminded of their trek through the wilderness and how God miraculously provided for them over and over and again provided all of their needs as they were journeying to the Promised Land. And one of those needs that God provides is water. In Exodus 17, we see soon after their escape from Egypt, they moved south into the wilderness, the wilderness of sin, and, and they, they're camped out in the desert, and there's no water there. So instead of trusting the God who just moved them out of Egypt, who helped them, who parted the Red Seas, where they walked across on dry land, they don't trust God. They, they, they live in unbelief of God, and they start to complain, and they cry out to God and say, why did you bring us out here just to starve and to, to not... To, to like just to shrivel up, to not have any water. And so God causes water to come out of a rock, out of the most unwaterly place. I don't know how to say that. Um, the, the driest place. They're parched. There you go. I should have put that in my notes. Parched. The most parched place in the world. God causes water to come out up. And now here in our text, on the, la- the last, the great day of the Feast of Boots, Jesus, a time when they're celebrating, remember those, those events, Jesus stands up and says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And whether the people at the feast grasp the full significance of this or not, we can tell from our perspective and from what John is saying in his whole gospel, is what Jesus was saying at that moment in the fulfillment. Uh, he's saying, I'm the fulfillment of the Jewish festivals. I'm the fulfillment of the provision of God. Come to me and drink. When Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, what he's implying is that I am the gift of life, and here it is, it's free. There's no thought of earning or meriting. Anyone who's thirsty is invited to come and receive the water. Just like the bread we talked about last week that we saw in the last chapter, Jesus is not talking about just a physical thirst here. He's saying that the soul has something like a physical thirst. Just like when you go without water, you shrivel up and die, your soul without God gets thirsty and it shrivels up and is dead. Your body was made to live on water. Your soul is made to live on God. And Jesus came to do and to teach, and it's, it's aimed really at providing soul food for us, soul drink that will satisfy us forever. Our souls were made for Jesus. Our, our, the ache of our hearts really is the root of an ache for Jesus. And that is for every person on this planet, even whether they know it or not. This is how our souls live. They live on the bread and water of Jesus. And this is the good water that Jesus is offering. And so in verse 38, Jesus says this, is out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Literally, out of his belly, or, or the point is really out of the inner being, the, the, the call out of your heart, out of your soul, out of your inner being, your belly. What it means is that when you come to Jesus to drink, you don't just get a single drink. It's not just one little sip. But you get a spring, a fountain, a well, as it were, that you now get Jesus. Now rivers will flow out of you because the river maker is in you. That's the point. You never have to search again for the source of satisfaction of your soul. Every river that flows 
that needs to flow from the joy of our soul comes from belief in our hearts about who God is and flows from Jesus. When you come to Him, you get Him, and He never leaves. Now, if we look all over Scripture, the point of you having water is not just so that you would have a nice big lake or a nice pond behind your house. It's not so you could have some koi in there and you could look at it all day and say, isn't this a nice little lake that I have here? It says river. It's something that flows. It's, it gives you living water. The things that you possess is so that others would find their thirst and need in Jesus as well. That now, as agents, as servants of the king, we get to be oasis in a dry desert land, calling people to believe in their true hope, to have their thirst satisfied in Jesus, the fulfillment of God's provision for all mankind. That's the type of river that now lives inside of you, that continues to flow through our city of Los Angeles. As God's people are little rivers everywhere we go. We usually have very dry land here, but we don't have that right now, so it doesn't really make... My point is a little bit... (laughs) God made it rain. What are they going to say? God brings the rain, and He brings it out of us in that. As elders, our desire is to see really that, that each one of you would be actively pursuing, discipling, daily praying for not yet believers, so that they might run and eat and drink of Jesus that they may be satisfied and be discipled in His ways so that they too would then lead other people to the never-ending well in the spring of living water that is found in Jesus Himself. And there's many practical ways that we're going we're gonna to lead you into that this year, that we have plans to foster in our community, and we're going we're gonna to be hoping to work that through our missional community leaders to help them implement that in the everyday. But as, as we think about those things, I, I want you to, to think about, I would ask you to be, be thinking about and asking the Spirit to give you just the name of one person. The name of one person that you would pray for daily this year. That they would place their belief in Jesus. That they would move from unbelief in their life to belief in, in the God of the universe. And that you would look for ways and that that we would look for ways to extend God's invitation to them to come and to drink and to live life abundant. It's my prayer this year that, that we would move from really places of unbelief in our lives. That we would move from places of skepticism. That we would, we would move from places of really practical atheism and trust fully in and drink of the living waters of Jesus. That in the power of the Spirit, we would give our lives both individually and corporately to continually to work towards equipping others to grow in discipleship and to grow in belief in God. That we would become more brilliant pictures of the image of Jesus in our city so that His family would grow, and so that He would receive glory, not that we would get any praise from anyone else. And that when someone praised us for it, we would be quick to turn and say, no, it's not me. I have nothing to offer you. All I have to offer you is the drink of Jesus. That's what we're going to be about this year. That's where we're going to continue to hammer. That's where we're going to continue to try to lead you in. And, that's, and hopefully that's the desire of your heart as well. 
that you would be about those things and that God would change our unbelief to believe that He actually can do those things. That He can actually bring the person that maybe is already in your mind to Jesus this year. Our Father, we thank You that You don't leave us alone, that we're not alone in accomplishing these things, and in fact, we have no ability to accomplish them. We thank You that Your Spirit now lives inside of us and is the one that empowers us, but also is the one that speaks the truths of God both to us and to others. And so, Lord, we ask for more spirit empowerment. We ask that, that we would grow in our, in our openness to walk alongside Your Spirit and to hear Your Spirit in the everyday, and that You would grow us in these things. That You would, really, that you would grow us as a family for Your kingdom and that you would do a mighty work in this city this year. Father, we ask all these things in your great name, expectantly and believing that you can accomplish them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.